Welcome to the tangent. Before we begin, I feel I must tell one story. Oh, great. On the way in the door I'm today. I'm nervous about this. On the way in the door today, uh, having greeted Father Sam at the door, the first thing he did was what? He slapped me in the face. I did slap you in the face <laughs> because there's there's something missing from your face, my friend. There's something missing. <laughs> having, you didn't tell me that it was going to be missing. <laughs> having shaved my beard, we can no longer be the two bearded guy podcast. I am. <laughs> I am distressed and distraught, and I'm glad that Renee feels the same. <laughs> <laughs> now, the thing is that I had also forgotten I had shaved because it's been a couple days. So when you walked in and slapped me in the face, I was like, what are you slapping me in the face for? <laughs> but that is what? all beside the point. Today we what have- happened? <laughs> we have Father Alvaro with us. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. I've been looking forward to, to meeting you and having you here in the studio. You you are only our our, our second in studio guest uh, ah. since we've been in this studio. Um, I mean, technically, should we even count Steve Lee as an as an in studio <laughs> guest? I mean, he's kind of our boss, and so yeah. like, he lives here, you know. So right. it didn't really count. No, no, probably not. I'm the number one. <laughs> <laughs> so, Father Alvaro, you are our first are our real first guest can. here in this <laughs> real guest studio. in the studio, and it's it's great in in the the official tangent studio. I'm That's naming right. it. I'm claiming because I don't think anybody We're, else has, has <laughs> no. laid claim to this yet. This, so this is the biggest form of dibs ever. Yeah, exactly. None of the other. Veritas Catholic Network shows have claimed this, so it's ours. Restless can have that room <laughs> without the soundproofing. Nah. <laughs> Father Alvaro, tell us who you are and where you're coming from and how we got you here. <laughs> okay, I'm a, I am. Uh, well, actually, it's a long story. I want to try to to make it very simple. I'm, I'm a priest from originally from Spain, but I'm a priest in, in Honduras. I belong to the diocese of Tegucigalpa, the capital of mm -hmm. Honduras. And... And I'm I'm a I'm a priest in one of the parishes. Then the name of the parish is Saint Teresa of Calcutta, in the in a poverty belt in in Tegucigalpa. And the reason I'm here is because a very good friend of mine, mine Katie friend, is good friend with Steve. Uh, because before being a priest, I I was a I was in, in business in finance. I was a private equity executive, then an investment banker, and I did an MBA at the University of North Carolina. That's actually where I met Katie. Katie okay. friend, my friend, my my friend that lives here in the area, in, in Darien, who is good friends with Steve. Wow. Okay, so you came to North Carolina, the University of North Carolina to do an MBA, and then went back to Spain. And well, no, finance, well, I'm from Madrid. I did, I, I'm from Madrid, and I did a law degree, and I, I practiced law for five years, and then I, I went to University of North Carolina to do an MBA, uh, and then I worked in investment banking, then in private equity. And on the side, I was always doing like volunteering. And I set up a foundation to help uh, NGOs, non-governmental organizations in Latin America. I got to know poverty face to face. And at some point in my life, I said, well, the best way to help the poor is, is to become a priest. And, uh, and it happens that, I, that one of the organizations we were helping through my foundation was in Honduras, this mission. Uh, and so I made the decision to become a priest in Honduras. Wow. Oh wow! So you would you were in Honduras doing the volunteer work? Or? Yeah, yes, yeah. Okay, and that's where the call to to be a priest came. Exactly. It's even actually a, a longer story because when I when I got to know that mission in Honduras, I was working in a private in a private equity fund. So I made a decision to quit that job and to set up like a 
pilot project of an impact investing fund. Right now, impact investing is very, you know, is, this, is the flavor of the month. What is impact investing? <laughs> yeah. oh, it, Besides so, the flavor of the month, what is ah, impact investing? I am investing? so glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> impact investing is like, you know, all, normally all business is about making money. Impact investing is about making money and also having a positive social impact. Okay. And okay. that's that's the uh, okay. sacrificing a bit of the economic outcome with some impact, some positive inca- uh, impact. So a portion of the income then goes to a charitable organization, yeah, or, or, to or fund you imp- a, a small business in a poor neighborhood or a, a poor country or something. Or? It's broader than that. It may be also. I mean, for example, I, I don't want to invest in those bus- in businesses that I'm gonna, that I'm going to harm the environment. Mm. So. It's the major driver is not to make the most money that I can. The major the driver is I'm gonna make money, but at the same time I'm gonna have or a positive impact or, or also I don't wanna have a negative impact. Right. So many many years ago, corporations. I mean, I don't care. I wanna make money. And right. so I think that a lot of them are still like that. <laughs> well, it's, it's up to the it's up to the governments to set up the limits. Right. So if the government says and nothing about environmental, you know, restrictions, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to be the one like restricting my own business. Right. Now right. it's changing. What I try to do in Honduras is to set up a business to employ a lot of people, right. and, uh, and like a social contact uh, contact center. You know, contact center when you call. Yeah. There's a guy answering in India. Mm-hmm. It happened in Spain as well. So a lot of the call centers are based in Latin America. I wanted to do that. In Honduras. I never thought about that. When we have to make a call for customer service, it's usually in English. And so our calls get forwarded to an, an English, an English speaker country. somewhere. Yeah. So they, they could be in the United States. They could be. And I never thought about where do people from Spanish speaking countries call when they're calling for their tech support and their customer service. I never thought about that. That's amazing <laughs> too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. The same logic. Originally, there were many in Argentina, Chile, and now. Uh, and also in Dominican Republic and mm. Peru. And I tried to do that in Honduras, but with the idea of, well, normally call centers are actually are not the best, you know, workplace because they don't pay very well. It's very long hours. I wanted to do something so that the employees that could study work and at the same, at the same, at the same, at the same time, they could study as well. Right. Mm. So have a better balance between work and study right because for me i wasn't doing that because i wanted to make money anyway it didn't work it was a disaster because it was the beginning of the crisis in worldwide i mean the financial crisis 2008 2010 2010 okay so then i tried low-income student housing that was another idea so many you know many young people in latin america they don't have money to if you want to go to the university, they need to go to the main cities, and they they don't they don't have dormitories like here, like in right. America. So housing is expensive. So I thought, well, maybe I can do like a very low income housing for these students as a way to help them to study. Again, it didn't work. So and it didn't work for many reasons, but the main reason to me was like the poor of the poorest are actually people that they can they don't have any income at all. For, for me, it was very important to set up a, an income-producing enterprise because if you have income, you can call capital. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cash flows. They call it in final cost. You have cash flows, you can ask for capital. If you don't have cash flows, it's only charity. And there's a huge difference between capital right. and charity. We're yeah. talking big bucks are capital. 
Right. And charity is based, no, it's, it's coins, it's no bills. It's spare change, right. <laughs> it's spare change. Wow. So, but at the end of the day, I realized <laughs> that if I wanted to help people, I cannot actually think of, you know, doing business with poor people because, you know, in, in for example, in Honduras, most of the families, they make, I don't know, like $2, $3 per, per day. And actually in the rural areas, they don't even make money. I mean, they grow crops and they kind of trade Right. You know, trade the crops. They don't actually don't make money. It's survival. It's survival. So if you want to help the poor, you got to do something different than, yeah. a, than a business. Even, even social businesses doesn't work if you want to help the poor of the poor. Right. Wow. Okay. Two to three dollars a day. That's incredible. How long had you been working in Honduras in this capacity before you got to the point of saying something's got to change and I need to be a priest? Well, like a couple of years. Until I realized that I was doing it wasn't the best way to to help the poor, and I so I I ended up like at some point where I say maybe I should quit and come back to a normal life, quote unquote. But then I thought maybe I, actually I was always on all these enterprises I had partners, mm -hmm. but you need you know people that were actually like angel angel investors, friends that were providing me money. They were not very convinced about what I was doing. They were a little bit hesitant, but since we were friends and, but at some point when, when they saw that I was really committed to help the poor and not making money, we had some kind of arguments. Yeah. So that was actually one of the drivers that I decided to stop because our relationship was, you know, <clears throat> the situation was damaging our, our relationship. But I was thinking of finding a new partner and then I, I realized that God was the best partner. So, uh, so using business terms, I was I was looking for a joint venture with a partner. I thought, well, maybe what I do is to joint venture with God, and 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 then I, you know, I was always a fan of missionaries, mm -hmm. and I always thought about you know, with these guys, I mean, women and men that are in the middle of Africa or Latin America on their own, where where do they get the strength to stay? Where do they get the, I mean, the I mean, the desire and the hope. And it was God, actually. Yeah. So uh, I actually, more than a priest, more than a priest, I wanted to be a missionary. But then I also realized that I needed to, uh, you know, it wasn't only for me to help the poor, but also when I, you know, throughout all this process, I was reading the gospel. I mean, I'm a Catholic and, you know, I, the whole life I've been in Catholic mm -hmm. schools, even, even at university. When I did law, I was in a Jesuit university. So I knew the gospel. But, you know, when you're in college or in high school, you read the gospel because they, someone told you you got to read the gospel. And <laughs> in, you're supposed to, so you do it because it's homework. It's homework, exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, these two, three, four years, I was reading the gospel, you know, looking for answers and looking for help and looking for hope. And then at some point, I, I see all these things kind of come, coming together. So to me, being a priest was very important because I felt the need to spread the word on the gospel. And uh, even, even actually, you know, I, before, when I used to go to mass, to me, sometimes I was actually boring because I didn't actually agree. I would see the priest and I probably criticize the priest. I know a lot of people now criticize my homilies. <laughs> <laughs> but at some point I thought, maybe instead of criticizing the Catholic Church and the priest and the homilies, why don't you go and do it on your own? If you think that you can do it better, 
Why don't, don't you do it? And that was actually another reason I realized that call from God, that it wasn't just to be a missionary, but also to be a priest. Hmm. Wow. Wow. There's so many things I want to ask now. There's so much there. It's great. All right. Uh, let me try to go in order here then. That's <laughs> difficult. With these, with these, it's, it's really difficult. So from a young age, that means that you you had somewhere in, in your... In, in your life, you had the experience of recognizing that the poverty that was in front of you was something that you had the ability to address. And there was not a strict and stark separation between uh, serving the poor and serving God. Sometimes it might have seemed more like I'm focusing on the business end of things and, and doing this sort of uh, business that will benefit people who, who are poor. But why did you do it in the first place? It was to help the poor. It wasn't so much for, for the business. So there, there were things that were leading you in that direction. How did you get to the point of first just having that outlook that says, I need to serve the poor. I need to take care of, I need to help. I need to make a difference for them. Well, that's a good question. And it has a lot to do with like some, an, an, an anecdote that it's quite, a, quite surprising. It has a lot to do with golf. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to try hey, to explain myself. No, a Spaniard no, from Honduras no. talking about golf. Let's go for uh, it. Yeah, I want it now. <laughs> you know, the, when I was 13 years old, I asked my parents for my birthday that I wanted uh, to play golf. And no one in my family played golf. At the time, there was some good Spanish players. Well, Ryder Cup, I don't know, you know about golf. The sure, Ryder sure. Cup is going to play this actually this 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 week, actually. In, in Italy, right? In Italy, in yeah. Rome. The Ryder Cup is the Ryder Cup because some Spanish... Originally, it was the UK against the US, and you guys were winning all the time. So Jack Nicklaus, <laughs> you know, said to the Europeans, to the British guys, well, you gotta, you know, you gotta open this up to Europe. And the reason being, I want Sebi Ballesteros and other Spaniards to become members of the of the team. Mm. That's Jack Nicklaus, you knew Sebi Ballesteros, Sebi Ballesteros has won the master, the Augusta. And, uh, um, anyway, so I, I saw these guys and I said, I want to play golf. And my parents were, well, uh, so they gave me a set of golf clubs and I played in the backyard for one year. And my parents, my parents were expecting for me to kind of stop with that, mm -hmm. that idea. When I was 14, I said, I want to be a member of a golf, of, of a golf club. Well, there was, my parents told me, well, that's a different type of birthday. That's, <laughs> that's not. That's a different type of birthday. Of, yeah, yeah. But birthday present. Yeah. And so they managed to find a, a, a golf club that it wasn't that expensive. And so I went there, but I on my own. The funny thing is that when I was there, I was 14 years old. I ran into a lot of children my age that they were actually working on the golf course as caddies mm -hmm. or waiters that they had a different life than myself. So my parents were paying for everything, my schooling, everything, including me becoming a member of a golf club while there were many children in Madrid at the time, we're talking about early 90s, they had to drop out of the school mm. and go to a golf club and make money. But since I was very little, to me that was very surprising. Why was that? I mean, mm. and I become friends with these guys because I was on my own. I wasn't with my parents. It didn't make sense for me to be, you know, become friends with all the other members. And actually, it was a golf club that it was not for families. It was just more like memberships, like mm -hmm. individuals. So me getting to know these guys 
had an impact in my life because I thought it was so unfair that I had those opportunities and I didn't have any. And also that opened up a door to me to get to know. It's like if you are born in Manhattan, but you spend part of your childhood in the Bronx. Yeah. So through these children, not only I got to know their lives, but also I got to know their hometowns in the south of, of, of Madrid. And not only that, is that a golf course, it's, it's a reflection of society because I, being there with this, with my group of friends, the caddies and the, you know, the gardeners, I got to know migration. So in the early 90s, we started to have migration from Latin America, especially from Colombia and also from Morocco. So my so our, our gang was kind of growing to welcome other type of people. So that experience was really, really important in my life. For two reasons. First of all, to see like differences. And second of all, is that my you know, I was studying, but I can notice my friends they were stuck because they, they were not studying. So I learned that how important it is to take advantage of opportunities. And on the other hand, that is so unfair that some people, they don't have any. So, so that kind of stay at the back of my mind. So when I start practicing law and making money, but I was actually still friends, you know, with this group of people. Mm -hmm. So I thought, I mean, I cannot actually, you know, be making money just for myself. I need to do something. Because if I'm doing well, it's not because I'm smart. It's because I was born in the right place. Whereas other people, unfortunately, they didn't have that luck. So that was, you know, the main driver. I had those ideas in my mind is because early on in my life, I had ex exposure to poverty. And, and that's, that's actually the driver that led me to say, you know what? I cannot be here just for making money for myself. I need to change this because I feel more morally obliged to do something. Yeah. Okay, so that gets you on that track of saying, I'm going to use what has been given to me, and I'm, I'm also going to, can we say leverage this these opportunities the right way. Uh, I'm not going to let them pass by. I'm, I'm going to use them, but I'm not going to use them in, in a selfish way. Exactly. This is, this is for someone else, this gift that I have. I, I want to use this to, to help other people. And so then your professional life begins to turn towards not just doing the things that you studied in yeah, exactly. One business. of the reasons when I went to America is one of the reasons I picked University of North Carolina is at the time the University of North Carolina there was had a reputation on on what they they call it at the time the base of the pyramid. The base of the pyramid are these economic theories that explain that most of the products and services are designed for the top of the pyramid, meaning like people with with income, yeah. whereas most of the customers, most of the people on earth are at the bottom of the pyramid. But the products and services are not designed for these people, which is unfair and, act, and at the same time is an untapped business opportunity because if you design the you know, products and services tailored to this type of people at the right price, it may be very small margins, but huge volumes. And I, and I really like that. To me, it was like an opportunity to improve the life of people using business principles. Mm. And, but because also, you know, my experience in the golf course, you know, dealing with lawyers and bankers and also as a lawyer, is I really like the rigor and professionalism of, of corporate law and investment banking and private equity. And I love that. 
you know, smart people, working very hard, very serious. But I wanted to apply that to help the poor because mm. sometimes NGOs, I'm not criticizing them, but sometimes NGOs are like, they're not as rigorous as investment banking or mm -hmm. so. So I wanted to apply those principles, as I said, and into poverty. So when I got to know these ideas of base of the pyramid, there was, again, one of the reasons I said, well, I want to go to North Carolina. Are you still playing golf? And what's your handicap? Well, I used to play a four <laughs> handicap, but right now I'm wow, not four. That's pretty solid. <laughs> and and unfortunately, I don't. I I play very seldom. Yeah. Me too. If it makes you feel better, <laughs> I never got even anywhere near uh, being able to say that I had a handicap. Um, I think if you watched me play, you'd say he's definitely handicapped. But <laughs> it's it's not a great thing. All right. So uh, having this experience then of of putting your professional skills to work for the poor and then actively seeking out those opportunities. Um, you come to Honduras and you try the call center, the low-income student housing, and they fail. What did you learn from, from failure? What's the benefit of failing? Well, the, the, one of the first benefits is that at least you tried. Mm. That's something that I really like from America, and that's mm. not very common in, in Europe. But in America, if you fail, I mean, that's actually an advantage. Whereas in Europe, if you fail, it's, it's a failure. I mean, people don't get anything good out of the failure. But in my opinion, it's, well, at least you tried. And um, in the case of poverty, it was a learning lesson to me that it's, as I explained before, is that I, you know, poor people, you cannot think of making any, you know, getting any income out of them. Yeah. Because they don't have any income. Right. And, I, and actually, there are some... There are some companies that they do get income from, from poor people. I mean, for example, telecommunications. On, I mean, telecommunications, they've, they've done a great job because the penetration of internet and mobile in Latin America is almost 100%, not 100%, but it's close to 90. In rural areas, it's very difficult. But the problem with telecommunications, sometimes you find teenagers that they, they drop out of, of their studies to make some money because they want to have their their smartphones mm -hmm. and because they're addicted to the internet. They're addicted to social media. And so it's not the fault of the telecommunication companies, obviously, because, well, I mean, I provide the service. No, I don't, I'm, don't blame me for the use of the service, but, uh, yeah. uh, or, or some drinks, like American drinks, I don't want to mention the name, but also people are very <laughs> addicted to these famous, Famous I'm, red beverages. Exactly. <laughs> Rhymes so, with doke. So, I mean, poor people, they don't have a lot of income. Oh, but they they've... <laughs> Not a word. <laughs> anyway. But you get the point is that yeah. it's it's even, even if you want to make some business with the poor and take, a, you know, use that disposable income that they have, may not, it's not a good idea. What happens to me is that the reason I stay in Honduras is because I met this other priest, Father Patricio from Spain. He's the founder of the mission that I'm in, that I've been in the last 10 years. And actually it was the mission that, my idea setting up this company was to uh, employ the members of the missions. Mm. But it took me a while actually, so failing, failing these ventures allowed me to understand Father Patricio mindset. So Father Patricio started this mission 30 years ago with two basic ideas. 
the he he was, he lives in a neighborhood that's actually where I live right now a very poor neighborhood full of very poor people he wanted to help children to study under two conditions the first one was I'm gonna help you as long as you help others and if you want to help you gotta take it very seriously meaning that you gotta do well well meaning that I'm expecting you every day, Monday to Friday, here in the Paris at 7 a.m. And from 7 to noon, we're going to get together and help each other and help other people. And in the afternoon, you know, you're going to go to school, high school or college. So Father Patrice, instead of asking for money, asking for cash flows, he was asking for time. But asking for time so that children, actually it was a very, it's a very smart strategy because first of all, it's a strategy to keep children away from the street as much time as possible. Second of all, is empowering the kids and the children that they can actually change the reality. Because what, what happens in many countries is the foreigners, we go and we say what it, you know, what it has to be done. And, and also, you know, we, we only give and people receive. And Father Patricia was saying, okay, you gotta receive, but you have to give. Because no one is so poor that cannot actually do something for others. Maybe you don't have money, but you have talents. So very, very early on with Father Patricia started and the children were very young, you know, they were doing like very basic tasks. Like, okay, I can see that you read very well. Why don't you tutor that other person, that other child, they don't, okay, you, you draw very well teach other ones. And something that Father Patricio did, and it's very common in Catholic Church in the mission, is that Father Patricio stayed with them forever. In, in poor countries, it's amazing that many, the other organizations, NGO and multilaterals, first of all, they don't, they don't live with the poor. Second of all, they, they change the strategies every two, three years. So people in the community, they don't rely because it's, you know, they, they see different faces and different ideas. Whereas in the Catholic Church, in the midst of the Catholic Church is, I'm gonna stay here one year after another year, another year in the same neighborhood. And it's the same strategy that is education and, and nutrition. So, so what happens is that idea of students studying and helping each other, Father Patricia started when they were 10, 11 years old. When they were, when I met them, they were, like 20. Right. These guys, they were doing like really, really good stuff. And you know what? why? Because a brain in Honduras, the brain of a human being in Honduras is the same brain than a human being in Connecticut or in Paris. Right. So you, if you give food and opportunity and empower, they were able to do, you know, really, really amazing things. And they had somebody who through those very formative years was encouraging that and was helping to form that, helping them to grow in, in their capacity and in their abilities, and who was consistent, someone who was gonna be there who wasn't just taking off. So you have these NGOs that come in and they're there for a period of time, but they don't, they don't live there. They don't live there because they are poor neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. It's very uncomfortable to live there. At some point, it's kind of, it's not very dangerous, but it's dangerous. I mean, because you live in, a, in an area that it's controlled by gangs. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. people in the NGOs and, and, and actually because of Western world, they cannot live there because of insurance. 
So even even it's not actually the fault of the local NGOs. It's even in here in America or in Europe they say, hey, no. If, if I have an expat, you gotta live in a nice neighborhood, mm. and, and and the insurance says the coverage. It's you know it's not effective if you right. go to that neighborhood. But if you want to help, you gotta be in that neighborhood. So you can go there to visit, but you can't live there. You can't be there exactly, permanently. Exactly. Exactly. So not, not even sometimes not even visit. Really. So you can send in money to the people who work for you, who are already there. You yeah. Can... So that's it's, it's very typical that institution what they do they they hire a local NGO, so that it's like the middleman. Huh. And okay. So you so in, in this is really interesting that idea that yeah they they don't live there. All right, so then the church is there, present on the ground, boots on the ground. But that's but that's here. the point. That's a that's a huge advantage of the Catholic Church yeah. is that right. they're the only ones living there because we you don't care about your own safety. Right. You you're gonna live your life. So it's, I mean, you're assigned to that parish and you go to that parish. We don't have insurance. I mean, it's, I mean, the 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 nature of a priest of a nun is that you're gonna live with the poor, and you're gonna sacrifice your life. So it doesn't cross your mind that. I mean, you you know that it's dangerous, but that's it's is the nature of your service. I mean, you're gonna yeah, be with yeah. the poor. I mean, if, if they need help, it's because they live in a dangerous place. But that's that's the reason you gotta be with them. Yeah. So this is such a different. Um, it's a different a different approach to to ministry and to service to pastoral care. I mean, I think, and I don't know if this is if this is true more in the developed world and in you know western world i don't I, maybe it's just america but everything is so governed by insurance including even how we how we do our pastoral ministry and so there there are certain things that we we can't do or sometimes we find ourselves like as, constrained by yeah I'm a, I'm a diocesan priest and there are certain things that i know that insurance coverage is going to get in the way um, or it's going to make it that much more difficult. You know, we've got. Uh, I want to have a, a group that that meets, but because uh, it's going to allow parents to bring their little children with them, we have to make sure that we've got the following trainings in place, and that we have at least this many people at all times, and that the children are never left in a room with somebody who's. You know, it's no, it's a different dynamics. That's yeah. not the issue in 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 this country because yeah. insurance insurance actually doesn't exist other than by. For automobiles. <laughs> <laughs> so you have auto it's insurance. Like insurance for people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like insurance for things. That's incredible. Wow. So uh, coming back to the question, so I was lucky that I failed yeah. because that helped me. So when I was analyzing my failures, then I then I understood, okay, you know, God bless that I failed because, you know, this is one this is no, this is not gonna lead lead me to the right way. And that, that gives me the time and, and actually the scenario to criticize my own decisions and to compare to others, in this case, Father Patricio, and that actually helped me to change my mind and, and realize that the best option was to become a missionary, a priest, rather than a social entrepreneur. Mm. It seems to me the Lord works like that somewhat often. You know, where you go for something and you think you're on the right path and then and then you end up hitting a wall and it's because you were really close, but you weren't quite there. <laughs> you know, and so the Lord teaches you the lessons that you need to learn in those moments, but then eventually brings you to fruition in your vocation. Um, and we're normally very stubborn. 
So I think it's very difficult <laughs> to stop you once you made a man thing. <laughs> yeah, when you've made a decision. But a, a failure, if you look at it the right way, it's right. it's because you basically convince yourself. Because someone, I mean, even God, if God can tell you, no, don't go that way. I mean, that's not the right way. I mean, just, right. we are stubborn. That is no. So you need the failure. But I think I think God God goes with you along the way in your failure. But it doesn't abandon you because even in your failure, God is talking to your ear and say, you know, why don't you look at this? There is yeah. an option. There is a way out. Yeah. And I experienced that. So then you get to that point realizing there's there's something different. This this path that you've been on of trying to create businesses, a social business that's going to really benefit the poor, this, this isn't, not only is it not working on a practical level, there's also something about this that it's not what God wants. And you start to look at Father Patricio and you see what he's doing. You come to that realization that yeah, something something has to be different. Maybe the Lord's calling me not just to be a missionary, but to to actually be be a priest. Um, so when when did that all begin? Um, when did you start seminary? That was in in two thousand and fourteen. Okay, so you started seminary in twenty. Wow, that's amazing. Started seminary in twenty fourteen. You become a priest. So how long are you ordained now? Uh six years. Six years. Wow. Okay, that's great. So I got, I got like, I mean, the cardinal told me, and I, I was thinking in between going to Madrid or staying in Honduras. I actually preferred to stay in Honduras because my vocation was born in Honduras. Sure. Mm. But, uh, and I got lucky because the bishop is the cardinal, Cardinal Oscar Andres, he just retired. Like, but he was really open and said, Alba, no, 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 you can stay here in Honduras. Uh, he made things very easy to me. And uh, he, he uh, so... So it was very easy, actually. That's great. Yeah. And so now you're in the mission that you had been working in before with Father Patricio. With Father still, Patricio, yeah. yeah. We belong to a parish. There is a parish priest, and we are collaborators. Okay. We run the mission, and we also are in the, in the parish. Okay. Uh, How many people are you serving right now? What's, what's the Well, right now, we, our beneficiaries are close to 12,000. Wow. Whoa. Wow. In Tegucigalpa itself. No, in, in, in 11 regions of Tegucigalpa. So the thing is, we we are like a thousand people helping. Half half of them are the students. So when Father Patricio started with a very small group of children, and they were doing little things. But once they get into college, we were able to create like a company. But it's I mean, meaning that like the structure of a company, meaning the administration, mm -hmm. internal audit, logistics, this all done by the students. So it's. 500 people taking care of the, say, let's say the back office. And also when, when people in the community, they witnessed Father Patricia with the children, especially women, they wanted to help. So what we are doing actually is empowering the community, starting with the children, that they are the leaders, but also people in the community, very humble people. So 20 years ago, some women called Father Patricia and say, Father Patricia, I see you with the children, and it's amazing. I want to do something. I cannot read, I cannot write, but I can cook. Why, Father Patricio, you give me food. I'm happy, and I see a lot of children collecting or finding food in the trash cans. Uh, and Father Patricio said, you know what? Perfect. Why don't we set up a small kindergarten and you're going to be the cook? And we have almost probably like 
a hundred women that have been cooking for the children for 20 years. Wow. Wow. And then we, <laughs> and for almost for free, we, we give them a stipend. And I can tell you, these women, they could actually work in other places and make more money, but they don't want to do that. I mean, their life is to help those children. Right. And then, so that's, that's very important. We, I think the solution to poverty is not foreigners going into these places and tell the people what they have to do, is they giving resources and purpose to the community and opportunities so that they can fix the, the countries and the community by themselves. And this is a very good example. So right now it's like 500 students that they do all the sophisticated stuff like administration, logistics, um, many women that they cook. Some of them, they are, they are also teachers, but some of them, they, they, they have some education and for the kindergartens is good, is good enough. And we have also a group of teachers that they do, they are teachers in, um, in rural areas. In rural areas, unfortunately, in, in Latin America, the state, I mean, the public schools, they run only up to sixth grade or seventh grade. So there is a gap between seventh grade till college. And if you wanna if you're gonna go to high school in many rural areas, you gotta it's like four hours away from your hometown. So it's too far. So we have developed this program. There's like a bridge, it's a learning distance program. And we have teachers that are volunteers and they teach over the weekends. So we have like 150. So all in all, it's like a thousand people helping everyday people in the community. They're and helping almost for free. And that's really powerful. Yeah, in, in that case, then you're, you're creating community also. That's that's the idea. That's the whole idea. It's, yeah. Yeah. it's educating people, but not only so that they can go to college and become lawyers and engineers, which is very important, but also is that they they know how to create a community. That's how they, In my experience, that's the main problem in these countries. They don't have a sense of community. Hmm. That's the reason you see that many people fleeing. Yeah. Now, to that point, are you finding that people are staying? that as they've gone through now maybe maybe you're a more recent arrival to the to the overall mission father patricio has been there for 30 years uh but do do you see a, a trend of of people who have benefited from this experience who are now staying no no in, exactly in that that's place? that's a really good question and that's it's right in um, is key not only for us but actually in international development because Mm. Some years ago, the problem was people like leaving this country, brains leaving Honduras, Central America to Europe or to America. Right now, it's, it's going to be different. It's not going to be people leaving. It's Europe, to some extent, we need a lot of people to keep up with the welfare system. In Spain, I think that we need 5 million people in the next 20 years because the birth rate is very low. Mm. So we need to fill the gap with migration. So, for example, Portugal, Portugal needs a lot of health workers. So they, what they do is they put an ad on the newspapers in Brazil and they say, nurses and physicians, I see you next Saturday in that hotel. And they say, well, uh, here's the Portugal government. Uh, do you want to come to work to Portugal? I'm going to pay you three times your current salary and you're gonna give visa to your whole family. So there's a lot of health people from Brazil 
living to Portugal. Mm. And in, in Britain, I mean, after Brexit, they're, they're having problems, I mean, hiring Europeans. They're hiring people from Egypt. In Egypt, there is a brain drainage of health workers mm. they're going to... So right now, in the next 10, 15 years, we're going to see competition of Europeans, and even America, competing with the talent of, of Latin America, of India and other countries. Mm. So unless you have a system where people value community more than money, NGOs, multinational missions, instead of working for these countries, we may be working for Spain or for the United States because yeah. you train people that are going to end up in America or in Spain. So it's very, very, that's the reason why the Catholic Church has a unique and a very competitive advantage because who else is teaching people to work very hard in a sense of nothing, None, and in a sense of, you know, helping your community. So if you teach, you know, if for example, if we would be teaching our, our children, our students, only to become good professionals, um, you know, for them it's much better to go to the United States and to Spain. But we're not only teaching that, we're teaching them they need to give back and they need to stay in their communities. And it, and it makes more sense to stay in a community making less money than being in Spain and not being a community leader. So when they go, so our, when our students, they go to Spain and we, from, they normally go to Spain because we get a scholarship so that they can study masters. None of them, want to, they don't want to stay in Spain. For them, Spain is very boring because everything is done. It's, it's they want to come back, even though they're going to make less money because they've, they found out the value of serving others. They, they value being community leaders. And that's, this is really, really important. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to think now of maybe it, it feels like there's a big shift in mentality. So if we go back historically, we see like the discovery of the new world, and so the sense of we're going to um, first of all there's there's opportunity to to gain, and so you have people coming because they're in search of gold, they're in search of land. Uh, you have people coming because they're in search of a, a, a new opportunity, a new, a new way of living. You have people coming as missionaries because they want to evangelize. They realize that there are people who have never heard the gospel before. And so we want to come and we want to bring souls to Christ. So you have this exporting of culture, right, from, from Europe into the, into the new world. And now, as the European birth rates decline, there's an exporting of culture and, and people from the new world to the old world, um, but for very different reasons, right? Now it's it's more capitalistic. We're going to pay you three times your salary <laughs> to come and move here and, and live here and, and work. Um, does that continue? Does that harm these these countries no, course, as yeah. even even more? And then if if that's the case, then uh, it would seem like what you're doing is is even more important. Is it helping though? Um, so on the one hand, keeping people there, helping them to to remain, and so forming that that stronger community, um, is that also having an impact then on the the quality of life and the overall economic well being, um, the overall health of of your people, um, because they because they're staying because they're not always looking for just more money alone. Um, what, no, no, what what's the quality no, of no, life turn into then? Most of the people, if not all of the people who actually migrate are the strongest ones, the smartest ones. Who, yeah. who is going to actually cross, I mean, all Central America through Guatemala and through Mexico 
and cross the border. I mean, only very strong people with a lot of determination. So the the weakest, and my children and and women, all the weak, you know, children, women that are taking care of the children and the elders are they actually the ones that are staying in these countries. So migration, it doesn't matter if it's illegal or legal, is is very dangerous for these countries. Mm. So unless you educate a new generation that wanna be very smart and have a lot of you know abilities, but we decide to stay. The, the the brain drain is gonna be amazing, and these countries are gonna be worse. So so again, that's the reason the Catholic Church is so important because it's the only one who is actually teaching and giving reasons why it makes sense to work very hard, but not expecting a lot in return. And so is that where then the gospel and the service really come together? Exactly, is giving the eternal consequences of our actions. It's explaining the the context for all of this that. Pope Francis says that the church is not just another NGO. No, exactly. <laughs> the church it's, has it's, to be it's, more than that, right? Exactly. It's not that, I mean, the church, that's the role of an NGO, but it's more than that. So that's really, I mean, and another important argument is that when people migrate, and if you see what's going on in Europe and in America, most of the people actually are not happy, which is actually surprising from my perspective mm. in Honduras. Here you guys have everything, running water, food, health, and so on and so forth, but you are not happy. Why is that? It's because economic development doesn't equate to happiness. Happiness is different. I mean, human beings, yeah. I mean, are not just machines that we need to receive money. And, and so it's the gospel. I mean, it's, it's discovering that our lives are, are for the others, that we need to serve others. And, and for... In this country, because everything is done, it's already done, It's everything is so perfect, quote unquote, mm. there are not that many opportunities to serve others. I mean, indeed, there are many, but it's, I mean, but, and so one of the good things that our students are learning, that's the reason when they go to Spain, they say, you know what, I mean, it's, it's very nice, but I don't see the opportunity to help people. And that's actually mm. what I value mm. because they've been taught through the gospel that the important things in life is not accumulating things, is giving things to others. And actually the the wealthiest guys, I know the, the guy has a lot of money on the bank accounts. A wealthy guy is a guy who doesn't need a lot. So, and that's just something that you learn in the gospel. It. I like that, yeah. So, so the, and that actually make you free. So the gospel made you free, why? Because you don't need a lot. And because you don't need a lot, you, you ended up with a lot of time to do what you really wanna do. Whereas if you have, if you're addicted to money or you're already chasing for money and chasing for power, you spend all your time chasing for things that they are, you're not going to be always happy because you always need more money, more money. Mm-hmm. You are, at the end of the day, you're a slave of money and a slave of power because you haven't followed the gospel as, as a way of living. So when you have people that is trained through the gospel, you're basically making people free meaning that they're not going to need a lot of money and a lot of things because I, that's actually what I learned from the poor. And, and that helped me to make a decision to become a priest is that, what do I need? I just need a pair of shoes, a pair of pants. I don't need to be famous. I don't need to eat in, in, in fancy restaurants. Who cares if I'm not a managing director, a CEO? I, that's, so I need very little things. But what I, really, what I really need is have time to be useful to others. 
So I don't know how to explain. So obviously, so the Catholic Church, what I'm describing, it's is the incarnation of what the Pope says is that we are offering something extra to the NGOs. It's, it's a purpose for people to stay in poor countries, whereas NGOs they are offering just you know whatever they offer, maybe education, which yeah. is great, but education by itself is not going to make you happy. Right, and maybe that's the distinction, right? To it, it offer uh, the Catholic Church offers something other than what the NGOs can offer, or in addition to help people to stay in poor countries. But to stay in a poor country doesn't mean to stay in poverty, or at least not poverty in the in the sense of a, like a, a debilitating. No, no, exactly. Uh, no, it's to, to stay confronting poverty, right, and helping others, right, and so. By that very fact, then you're you're contributing to a culture, and a culture that says that human life is valuable, a culture that says that our our time together matters, that that we would work together, that we would that we would have this together, that we would pray together, that we'd worship together, that is worth more than the money that you can spend. Exactly. That is worth more than uh, the infrastructure and facilities. We can create the quality of of life that is intangible. I think a lot of times when when we look at Charities, especially Catholic charities, um, and this might sound strange. So, so tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> but it, I, I, I notice that sometimes we, we focus a lot on the things that they're doing. So, we provided this many uh, medical interventions. We were able to do this many surgeries. We were able to uh, clean up the drinking water in the following villages. We were able to build this many roads or this many houses. And there's a value to all of that, of course. But I can look at those statistics and I can line them up against the statistics of any NGO, any of those, those companies, the UN, whoever else that's going and doing the exact same thing. And it can be hard for me to make the distinction between what, what's the difference between what this organization is doing and what this missionary is doing. What is it that makes the mission really Catholic? And I think this is what you're hitting on, that... It's when we create that community and we realize that it's, it's at the heart of the gospel. The gospel tells us that we don't need all of this stuff. These things, though, help us to encounter God and to encounter one another in a more meaningful way and then to have an eternal significance to the things that we endure. And so if there's poverty or if there's difficulties, if I can recognize that God himself doesn't expect me to have riches and high status— but that God himself instead uh, expects me to love my fellow man, to, to love my neighbor as myself. No, 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 exactly. I, I, I agree with that. I think uh, that, that's, that reasoning is perfect. Uh, to me, it's what is behind the scenes, meaning that all, all those examples, I mean, all the people that you're helping in, like all the statistics are actually very good because are examples that you are doing the right job, and we may it may be similar to the NGOs, but what is important is who are the ones and why these people are doing what they are doing, and you're gonna find out that the NGOs, in many cases, they do that because it's a job, and they're getting a salary. Whereas in the Catholic Church, you are gonna find out that people that are doing that is because they, for free or almost for free. And because that's, they live for that. And, and actually, 
it's obviously it's not the same. And that's the reason because at the end of the day, the statistics of the NGOs and the Catholics are not the same. Mm. The statistics of the Catholics are much better. Why are much better? Because you're going to find, as we were mentioning earlier, the Catholic Church is in the middle of nowhere. The Catholic Church is where no one really want to go. And the Catholic Church is the one who has been doing that for centuries and forever. And if the, the statistics matters, not only I mean the numbers, where are those numbers? And, and especially if you've been working long term. So the Catholic Church has been doing that. And that's, and that's the reason because what the Catholic Church does come to fruition. is because we've been having schools in poor neighborhoods for many, many, many years. You're not going to find that in, in other cases. And the only way to have people that, that actually are working in poor neighborhoods and for very long periods of time is only people that want to do that, not for money. It's because that's the part of their life. So how do you keep that focus that I'm not doing this for money? Um, rather, this is, this is for the sake of the gospel. This is, this is for the sake of, of doing something that will save souls. Like, how, how do we balance, uh, I recognize the need to serve the material need of this person, and I also want them to encounter Jesus. But well, both things go you know, hand in hand, meaning that, uh, well, unless you are very close to Jesus and to the sacraments, you're not gonna you're not gonna keep up with the work. At some point you're gonna fail and you're gonna yeah. fall apart. Pope I mean, Francis talks about that. I think it's in um the joy of the gospel. He talks about how there's a there's kind of like a busybodiness to evangelization that people are afraid to give give over their free time. Um and it's because we we kind of approach we approach our time like it's money, right? It's like our possession, you know, and so we're so terrified missionaries specifically i guess right um are terrified to give over their time um and he uses the example of catechists which is an interesting example right like how many catechists or have you had as a pastor that have been doing it for like i don't know how long have you been a pastor i've been a pastor i'll be nine years a pastor and have you ever have you had a catechist year? for all nine years yeah that's because you're doing a great job I, no, <laughs> no i have i have catechists who have been serving as catechists in this parish for 30 years. Wow. It's insane. Wow, I don't know how that's amazing. happened. It's a, that that's, the most amazing you, thing in the world. That's, that's my point. Yeah. But, but, and, but it's kind of the exact same thing. Well, it's not the exact same thing, but it's the same premise, I mean, of like you're building a community there, you know, and, and because you're building that community, the work itself can thrive. Yeah. Well, and, and maybe this is a little bit of a difference, right? That I don't know if I'm really building the community. I'm mm. I'm at a parish that's well established. It's been there for a long time. Right, you inherited it. Yeah, a, a fairly affluent area. You know, mm. so sure. I don't want to sell myself short. I'm I'm confident that I've made some beneficial you, contributions you good to the work. life of the community. <laughs> I, I do believe that. I have I have enough self esteem to say that I know I've done some good <laughs> You're things. You're not there. just breaking zero. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But. The, the reality is that there was already something there. There was yeah. already a sense of community and, and culture there. Um, and, and that's that's the reason when I talk to like um, entrepreneurs and business people, I mean, right now, what are the best companies worldwide? It's Google, mm. Apple, whatever. And 50 years ago, if you, look, right. if you compare the, 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 the 100 best companies 50 years ago with today's are completely different. 
the next 50 years, probably not, not Apple, nor Amazon, they're not going to be in the list. Mm. The Catholic Church is the only organization that has been around for 2,000 years. Yeah. Other than the Holy Spirit, and I think it has a lot to do with the Holy Spirit, but it has, has a lot to do with those ideas that we are explaining is that mm. people in the Catholic Church are doing that not because of a salary, it's because they believe on that. And that's, and they are actually, and the good thing of the Catholic Church is that what we pray, we make it happen. But if you wanna do things behind that, you need people that really believe in that. Because if we only do things, eventually we're gonna fall apart. Mm-hmm. If we only preach, preach, then we are not the Catholic Church, we are another church. So that combination of preaching and being close to the gospel and the sacraments and making things happen, it really works because it's been working for yeah. 12, for 2,000 years, not other organizations worldwide. And I can tell you, in the next 2,000 years, I bet all my money, the Catholic Church is gonna be around. I don't know that, I don't know any other organizations. And, and the magic is exactly that, is that you read, you, you, well, you have Christ with you, Christ in a book, Christ in your life, Christ in your heart, and Christ, Christ in your actions. The combination of preaching, theory and action really work wonders and endures forever. Yeah, and, I mean, faith without works is dead, right? Right. And, and I think in America, we tend to think about that from an apologetic standpoint and not from a pastoral standpoint, mm. right? So we don't like... So one of the questions I have is, how is the preaching of the gospel different in Honduras than it is here? Um, But I think if I were to venture a guess, it would be that that faith without works isn't necessarily from the like, hey, (laughs) we're not Protestants, you know, and not that not that that goes across the board, because there are some Protestants who wouldn't agree with that, strictly speaking, you know. But like we we might approach it from like a strictly theological perspective, whereas it's like, no, that's the heart of what you're doing. If we don't have the faith, the works aren't going to work. If we don't have the works, the faith isn't going to be the faith, you know. So you see that difference. We we need them both interacting with each other. So Father, if if we're looking at at this that missionary impulse to go and to go to those places that are poor, um, on the one hand, there's the material poverty that you see and the the very real uh, challenges that are, are present for people who don't have. They don't have the income. They don't have the capital. They don't have the material resources. They don't have any of the stuff that would that, that's really necessary. Um, but we've got to go and we've, we've got to serve them. But you're in a parish named for Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Oh, that that was my other question for you. So you're from Madrid. Did you ever have the chance to work with the missionaries of charity in Cal in uh, in Madrid? No, never. Uh, no, okay, no. I had the, I spent a summer with them while I was in seminary, uh, working with them in Madrid, and it was, I, yeah. it, was it was great. I loved <laughs> it. It was it was so much fun and so interesting to see, uh, kind of the work that they're doing. And and this kind of comes then to the, the to the question. Um, so there's the missionaries of charity working with the poorest of the poor, but in a developed country, in in Madrid. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the missionaries of charity here in Bridgeport. Are they in Bridgeport? Yeah. Are, are they in the Bronx as well? In the Bronx, they're in the Bronx. Well. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They're in the Bronx. They're, they're in Bridgeport. They're in, they're in lots of places all around the United States. So here they are working in, in this developed country, still working with the poor and working with the materially poor. I am a pastor in a parish that is not materially poor. How would you encourage a, a priest, a pastor to be that missionary that serves his people that encourages that missionary outlook while the need is not material. 
or when the need is not a material need, when the need is instead the, the more spiritual need? Well, that's my answer to that is that we, the poor, need people with resources to help us. But the people with resources, they need the poor. So I think so, so poor, I mean, people actually that help us, they normally say, hey, you know what, I'm helping the poor, but they're helping me more. So the balance between me helping the poor is actually it benefits more me than the poor themselves. Mm. So if, if even even ourselves, I mean, the good thing of poverty is that no one can claim that he's the poorest of the poor. Even in our parish, my, my parish is very poor in Tegucigalpa. If you go to rural Honduras, they are poorest parish. So we made our students that they are very poor travel to rural areas to get to know people that are actually in worse situations. Mm. And that's very necessary. It's very necessary because they need help and because we need to understand that others need help. So my answer to that is that I think your community, you need to find, you need to commit to any, I don't know, maybe in your community, in other community, in other country, you need, you need to be close to any kind of poverty because it's necessary to change the world and it's necessary to change ourselves. If we, if we live isolated to poverty, it's not good for the poor, but it's not good for ourselves. Hmm. So when you, when you come from poverty, well, first of all, you start not taking things for granted. So, which is very good actually. And, 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 and then you, you value things. Then, well, what happens in a, in a, in the developed world, it seems that uh, there's a lot of people that they think that they know, they may have money, but what happened in a very competitive world is that there are some people in that, in that society that are left apart. For example, people when they get old. Because you're old, you have your retirement, get out of the way. Okay, you may have money in the bank, you may be 60, 65, 70, but okay, you're not useless in this, in this community. So I think when, but fortunately, we have a lot of people that are retirees that are very useful for, for poor people. I mean, they have the time, they have the experience, they have the money, and they have uh, very, very useful work life experiences. So, I mean, I see that many advantages of putting together wealthy people, wealthy communities to poor. Everyone has something, you know, it's, it works wonders, actually. Mm. Mother Teresa says that there's the material poverty that she sees in, in Calcutta. But then she said that when she looked at the Western world, when she came to the United States, as an example, she said that the poverty is much deeper. It's just a different kind of poverty because it's that poverty of loneliness. It's the poverty of maybe even selfishness, right? Of, of not looking at, at somebody else, but so then being isolated. Whereas when you're giving of yourself, you're also receiving something from the people that you're giving to. And exactly. so there's no and, isolation anymore. And coming back to our earlier point, the, you, know, you don't solve poverty only with money. You solve poverty with community. So that poverty that you are describing, a solution is inserting people in one community. So what happened in, one of the problems in, in Europe and America is individualism. Mm. So people forget about community. Mm. I mean, I have my own money. Uh, okay, I, you know, I want my freedom. I, I want my independence. Uh, I don't belong to any community because we don't have any problem together. All the problems have been fixed. 
that's actually so we need to find quote unquote problems. Actually, Pope Francis used to say that to the to the young people. Go and find problems to fix them. So to some extent, we need to find problems. Because if we don't have problems, we some people think that you don't have problems, that happiness. No. If you if you don't have problems, that's gonna lead you to despair. Despair and boredom. Or which is worse, I think, sometimes, right? <laughs> so we 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 make us happy. It's worse to be bored than to, at least if you're despairing, you're thinking about something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're bored, you're just bored. Yes. What yeah. makes us happy is not the lack of problems. What makes us happy is to be involved in a problem and and find yourself that you can change it. Yeah. So that having the feeling that okay, I'm confronting this problem, but but, but I I can become one of the ones that are gonna fix this for for myself and for others. Yeah, helping people find that purpose and that yeah, to, to unlock that capacity that they can actually be part of that solution. They can they can actually exactly. Make I mean, difference. if you look at for example, when I see in Spain and probably here in America that a company is closing down or they are laying off a lot of people, and normally when you lay off people, normally use retirement. So 2,000 people, retirees, you know, I wish, I mean, I, I love to talk to 2,000 of them and say, okay, you're, not, you're retirees, you have your money. Why don't you go to Honduras few months, organize something here in America or in Spain to help the poor? Because now you're, I mean, you have the money. Maybe not a lot of money. You're expecting more money. But at, at the end of the day, how much money do you need to get by? Yeah. So there are so many people in the world that they are, doing nothing that I think they are the ones and, and actually that ain't gonna end up in unhappiness mm-hmm. by sort of helping them to find real problems where they can actually you know participate I think we fix two problems at the same time because now they're gonna be connected to something they're gonna be happier they're gonna find a purpose and at the same time they're gonna be fixing real problems mm. as soon as we can see those problems at a very big high level we, we can see kind of how broad they are and, and what their scope is but the the place where those problems really get solved and those the place where we really meet the need is is as local as possible it's it's mm. in the community right and and so that local community and so you, you're describing in Tegucigalpa you're in 11 regions of the city of the of the country of the country sorry of the, of the whole country okay um, but if you are if you're able to go into one neighborhood, you know, the value of that one neighborhood and, and building it up, building up the community there in that one neighborhood can be transformative then for the neighborhood next to it, which can then help to transform the neighborhood next to it. And so almost city by city, you can start to transform. No, exactly. The, that's the, the, that's the story of America. Yeah. It's compl- the story of America is the Irish, the Germans, the Polish, the, like taking care of different bits of America. And at some point, you guys... Created the best country in the world. <laughs> <laughs> like that. There it is. Like there that. It is. That's like, <laughs> no, it, I mean, it took you not less than 200 years, right? Yeah. It's pretty well, amazing. So this this, this is a, a question that I have. This is kind of a local issue that, w- that we're dealing with here. But, um, you know, we have, uh, even in our, our schools um, and our, our, our public schools, not, our, not so much our Catholic schools, um, 
I think if anything, one of the challenges we face with our Catholic schools is that the kids who attend our Catholic schools don't necessarily live in the neighborhood. Uh, mm. They're they're choosing their parents have have chosen that Catholic education is a value to them, and so they're they're sending them to these to these schools. It's the only way we can sustain the Catholic schools. But then in, in our public schools, we have more neighborhood schools. So this school is here; it serves this neighborhood and the people who live there. But there are movements to try to diversify our, our, our schools. And I don't have an issue at all with, with diversifying schools or, or making sure that our schools are equally funded and taken care of. But sometimes we can split apart a neighborhood by sending the children out of their own neighborhood to go to school. Some of the kids stay, other kids have to, have to go. But what if we really invested in that school, in that mm. neighborhood, to make that school an excellent school and to help the children in that neighborhood and the families that are connected to those children in that neighborhood to really become excellent families and to really thrive and, and to grow. Uh, could we not see then those families growing stronger and, and being better because everybody there is coming from a, a place of community, but we're, we're kind of separating out our communities so that it can look like we have very distinct and, and, and broad sorts of populations. But what we really need actually is this neighborhood needs to be strong. And so does the neighborhood next to it. The only way we're going to make that neighborhood strong is if we really invest in it. So the church is able to be present in the neighborhood. That's what a parish is. No, I was thinking, when you were talking, I was thinking how important is the idea of a parish. Yeah. Because again, that's something unique from the Catholic Church is that in every, so I don't know how many McDonald's there are. <laughs> Or, but there are more parishes than McDonald's, which is quite unique. In a, the only the only way to change a neighborhood is by having a priest or you know a parish in that neighborhood. Yeah. Not by having a McDonald's. Right. No. Right. No, no. Definitely not. A, definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> a no. No. Yeah. No. But seriously, it's, it's, yeah, you are completely right. I mean, that's so important. One of the problems of Latin America is, for example, in Honduras, is the number of priests is very, I mean, they are very, very, the vocations are very low. And yeah. the, it's the second, no, it's the first country in, in the whole America with the least amount of priests. Really? So I think there is a correlation. I may be wrong, but if you've, in the countries where the Catholic Church is very strong and it's, it's very, you know, it's very spread out, normally poverty is very low. Mm. And it's, it's Europe. I mean, the foundation of Europe, sure. it's many of the advantages of Europe, education and, and, and health, has a lot to do with the Catholic Church. It, even though a Catholic Church right now is not living the best time with the, in Europe, but the foundation of Europe is the Catholic Church. So in my opinion, there's a correlation between a strong Catholic Church with a lot of parishes, with good parish priests, with a lot of religious oh. people. Mm. I mean, look at education. Mm -hmm. I mean, who, who, the best education, it's, as we were mentioning before, it's not only, it's not lay education. It's education with values. Mm. And in Europe, fortunately, there were a lot of people that were, I'm coming, coming back again to the idea of having a lot of people working very hard for no salaries. That's the foundation of Europe. The Catholic Church educated millions of people because he had a lot of people working almost for free because they were doing that because not because of a salary they were happy i mean for example we we have a lot of dormitories in in in, uh, in these countries 
having dormitories is really important because it's the only way you can move people from rural areas to the city so that they can study high school and, and college. And we have 17, but our, our dormitories are very small, 20, 25, because we don't have a lot of resources. In Spain, like in here, but in Spain, not, many, many years ago, there were dormitories for a thousand people because they were run by nuns mm. and priests. Mm. Mm. So, and, and, and in our yeah. mission, we are only two priests. So we have dormitories and we don't have people to take care of the dormitory. The dormitories are managed by the only student. That's the reason we cannot have a, dorm, a very large dormitories because the it's there are teenagers. Right. <laughs> so right. we have maybe the the head of the dormitory is a guy is 19 years old. <laughs> He's in charge of the 18. Yeah. It's classic. That works, you know. Yeah. Well, so you keep you keep coming back to this phrase of of people who are working for no salary, uh, which is not a very American concept, you know. <laughs> we we in these United States don't really yeah. understand things like that. Um and I wonder do you think that that can get in the way of the church being really effective when we when we kind of expect there's always going to be money to pay for this, or that we, we think always in terms of, I have to be able to have this much money in place so that we can have this thing going on. Um, I want to have a program at my parish, but I can't afford it. Have we lost that sense? You know, you, when you come to visit the United States, do you think we've, we've maybe lost some of the sense of doing something because it's good and not expecting anything in return? Are we sometimes looking to always pay like if if i just spend enough money on this then it will it will work whether it's spending enough money on uh getting resources uh, buying buying books um getting uh, spending money so that we can hire a person to to run something for us instead of maybe cultivating that community that would naturally raise up those those leaders and cultivating a community that would lead to these things being simply a, a natural outgrowth of everything else that we do or depending on providence as well. Yeah. In in my experience, having volunteers is much better than having employees. Because you have volunteers actually, and they are really committed to, I mean, obviously people need, I mean, don't get me wrong, people need a, sal a salary, a stipend, you call it, you get, yeah. but the major driver should, shouldn't be the money. So you have, I mean, if someone is willing to do something just for the money, that person eventually is gonna, for one reason or the other, he, he's gonna find a better job or he's gonna find it too difficult. So cultivating people that are willing to do things not for money, just because you know, I, you know, I wanna be part of this. And if there is money, great. If there is no money, I don't care. Or there is this amount of money, it's okay, but it's next year we don't have that amount of money and I need to live with half or my previous salary is okay. That's really, really important because by having that, you can work long-term. But if you wanna convince people just because I'm gonna pay you well, be ready that those people are not gonna stay with you in the long run. Mm. And, and when you, bouncing off of that, when you look at the church in America and you recognize, like for example, the lack of religious sisters, all of a sudden the downward turn in Catholic education makes a lot of sense. You know, so like Absolutely, this yeah. this primary group of people who I mean, I, I 
I didn't go to the Catholic school run by sisters. You know what I mean? Like that era had died by the time I was in Catholic education. By the time I was in Catholic education. Right. And I was in Catholic education as a teacher for you. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a long time. Two generations of Catholic education (laughs) here. And neither of us had it. Yeah. Right. And so when you look at that, it's like, well, all of a sudden our lackluster, lukewarm Catholic education makes sense. You see how many L's there were in that? That's right. I was trying to find another one. I couldn't do it. Um, The lackluster, lukewarm Catholic education makes sense. And it also makes sense that the community dies. Yeah. And and not just the community of the school, but the faith community. That's why you're seeing parishes combined. You know, that's why you're seeing, I don't know, a lack of of volunteers at something like a food kitchen, food kitchen, soup kitchen. Food so, pantry, soup food kitchen. Pantry, I, I see what you did. No, yeah. you were just combining concepts. That's same right. same yeah. basic idea. I'm with you. Right. So also, I can't take credit for that idea. I'm pretty sure it was Bishop Barron. <laughs> yeah. Probably. No, but it's, it's true that when we can cultivate that sense of community within our own parishes, and I, I like this idea that, that you have, Father, of, of staying connected and in contact with the poor, because that actually inspires a deeper sense of community. That if, if I go and I, I, I work with the poor, what am I going to find? I'm going to find people who are generous. I'm going to find people who are, are grateful. And I'm, I'm going to learn something from them. And then I'm going to go back to my community and realize, you know what? It doesn't take much to meet this need. Uh, it, it actually doesn't take money. You know, I, I went and I, I said mass at a, at a parish uh, to help a, a priest friend of mine. And, and his was a, a poorer parish in the city. And... Going into to cover this this mass, I was looking around and I realized how like well maintained the grounds were. And he explained to me, he says, "Well, there's a group that volunteers to take care of this garden over here on this side of the church. There's a different group that volunteers to take care of that garden." And they said, "And I have a guy who owns a, a a painting company, and every year he comes in and he looks around and and he sees what needs to be painted and he repaints for me as as his tithe to the church. And that's what he, that's how he gives to the church." I said, "Okay, so here's these." Here are people who are materially more poor, but they're giving something and they're taking care of things. Whereas I hire a landscaper to come in and cut my grass and do all that stuff. When something has to happen, like yeah. my, my instinct as, as a pastor in a suburban parish is to go out and find somebody who's going to do the work that I'm going to pay. It's not to say to my people, can I use your hands to take care of this problem? Can you come in and, and help me to to build this, to fix this, to clean this, to paint this? Yeah, maybe maybe what happens is sometimes, okay, maybe it doesn't really make sense to have like a banker painting or a doctor <laughs> painting the church. But the conversation with them is that, okay, I need the church to get painted. Okay, thank you. You're going to pay. But you as a physician, as a banker, what can you do for this parish or for, for the poor? So sometimes when people give you money, I mean, it's great, but it's not the perfect solution. Mm. So, because sometimes people give you money so that you- Go go, away. Go away, (laughs) exactly. And, but actually they are not helping themselves. So that's the reason it's so important, especially the more, the wealthiest you are, the more developed you are, I think the more down you should go. To, To me, it was very important to go to a very poor, area like Honduras and witness face-to-face poverty. And not only poverty, but also poor helping other poor. 
witnessing poverty face to face, it helps you to say, you oh my God, we are in the 21st century. Yeah. There are still people with no water, with no food. What am I doing? So that's, you know, I need to do something right now. And when you see poor helping other poor, then it's, it's the last, I mean, that what happened to me is that he, seeing extreme poverty and also seeing poor people really poor and really young helping each other and helping and and spending a lot of time every day helping others i couldn't actually look at that mirror mm. so they get this you know having those very harsh experiences are very important so that they put you on track mm. So coming back to your question, what I'm doing, if I'm if I'm in a in a wealthy, I know it's, this is really really difficult, because take someone that is very wealthy, that is very powerful, and bring it to to a very very poor place. That's, but the gospel is full of expression when Jesus says, if you're a, you're a rich people, it's very difficult you you enter in heaven, yeah. and. But at least you gotta try it. But at least you, know. <laughs> at least you gotta try it. <laughs> I think sure. that's in the gospel. At least you've gotta try it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but my point is that poor people, I mean, again, coming back to my point, is that poor people can teach us lessons. Yeah. Yeah. yeah as you were describing, and, and right now, you tell this anecdote about the Paris where you go to celebrate a mass. Yeah. You learn something. And, 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 and so we maybe. If you talk to a psychologist, he's going to tell you that there are many different intelligences. Mm -hmm. So a few years ago, I mean, there was only one intelligence. And normally we associate intelligence with money. If someone is very smart, he's going to have a big house, yeah. a lot of money, and so on and so forth. Well, in reality, it's not true. I mean, you're going to find very wealthy people, but they may be smart in some areas, maybe some silly in other areas. Right. So we all need some help, and and poor not poor are not. I mean, I've met a lot of poor people in the middle of nowhere that they are very poor, but these guys are very very brilliant. Yeah. So. So again, I, I think it has a lot to do with the idea that God wants us to create one family mm. worldwide. So we cannot actually think only about my Paris in these dioceses, my country, my region. So we need to bring all of us together. Yeah. Well, on that on that note then, you're you're here for a, a short visit. Uh you're speaking at uh which which college was I it? Well in, in Iona I was at Wednesday okay. and I'm I'm gonna participate in a social justice like event in, in Manhattan College on Friday. Okay. So you're here speaking to American college students. Yeah, uh, in Iona and Manhattan College, um, and so to to kind of share that with them and to to explain that to them, um, for people who are listening to this show, how could they support the mission in Honduras? Um, so in in that idea of expanding beyond just our local and just our our particular space, but looking out, how can they support? Well, actually, I didn't mention that our mission, what, what Father Patricio set up in Honduras motivated a lot of people in Spain that when they witnessed the mission in Honduras, when, on, when they came back to Spain, they set up a small uh, group of volunteers that they've been like, you know, doing charity and traveling every year to Honduras. And it actually, that experience gave them a lot of purpose. Mm. 
So I would be, you know, it would be great to have some other groups here in in America, which is it's actually very simple. It's normally it's people that go, they visit, and I think it's very necessary. And and we don't charge anything. If someone wanna, it's just to buy a, a ticket. We have dormitories, and we this um, for free, entirely for free. You just need to buy your flight ticket, and we pick you up in the airport. We show you around. You can spend one day or a year or three years. There's no limitation. There's, there's no... Day or three years. Or three whichever. years. Whichever. <laughs> there's no requirement. I mean, you can be a physician. You can be a high school teacher. You can have no education. Yeah. Uh, age, we don't care. We have actually volunteers that are 87 years old. Wow. wow. So, I mean, obviously, if you are below 18, you need some... You need an adult with you. An adult with you, <laughs> but other than that, and, uh, and it's great to visit. And then the idea is that on the way back, you kind of, based on your freedom, you make a decision whether you want to help us. And there are people what they, people normally what they do is to sponsor kids, mm -hmm. then sell yeah. the family. They set up like a network of, of friends, family and friends that they have sponsorships. Other people, they, they, they're actually like to go and live. We have, other than Father Patricia and myself, there are five lay missionaries that they live there. And which is great as well. Yeah. They have other people where they where they, they they have they set up warehouses. So they collect furniture, educational materials, and every year they send a container. Uh, we have other people that what they like is to raise funds, like doing like mm, the typical fundraiser and la, very easy like in the house or. In a, throwing out a meal or something like that, or people that are a little bit more sophisticated and they help us to find grants. Mm -hmm. So, so there are many ways to help. So I'm happy to give my email address and maybe they, they write me and I'm happy to talk to them. And my okay. email address is my name is Alvaro Ramos, I L V A R O R A M O S, at, and then it's A C O E S dot O O R G. We'll put it in the show notes so that you yeah. can see. Okay. Do you have a website too? We have a website, yeah. Okay. It's in Spanish. We need to translate it. Well, we'll put the website in the show notes too, and and Google people can, auto translates. Yeah, websites, people can so people fun. can figure okay. it out. You know, we'll we'll uh, we'll let them see it. But I think it's great because that that can give people the chance to um, yeah maybe explore something outside of their own normal space where they can they can no exactly we yeah. I I myself and I I'm a person that I was looking to do something different in my life and I wanted to help and at, uh, and I needed that experience and I needed to witness with my own eyes yeah. and I needed a platform. So I think what Father Patricio did is was like a soft landing into poverty because I mean, no way you're gonna go to Mexico on your own and you're gonna throw yourself in a pool. <laughs> That's, so Father Patricio did it like a soft landing, meaning that it's cheap. No, a lot of people wanna help. And they want to find, they want to go to NGOs, but they charge $2,000. They don't have money for that. And uh, so they want, we want to do it like easy, for free, and also to give people a lot of freedom. So this is not like, if, if you want to set a group and you don't raise $10,000 per year, you're out. But Father Patricio says that one of the best supporters is a janitor in a, in a town in a town in Spain in the south of Spain that is a woman that he, she gives five euros per month 
but that is like it's like the bible that the the, the widow's might yeah the, exactly the, the two small coins yeah that's wonderful well listen father this is this is amazing um i'm really grateful for for the work that you're doing and uh for the time that you spent with us today um I can't wait for people to see your website and to, to get more in, in touch, but also I'm, I'm really excited to take some of this and start working on it here. Uh, and this idea of keeping people in contact with the poor and helping them to, to form then a solid community right here uh, in Fairfield County. So thank you so much for, for joining us on the tangent. No, my my pleasure, Father Samuel and Matthew. You. And congratulations for this program. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to further support The Tangent, please consider subscribing or following on your preferred platform, following us at the Tangent underscore Catholic on Instagram, or even donating at VeritasCatholic.com. See you next time. God bless.